You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Chapter 15, verse 36. And Lord, just to, before we go diving into your word, we just so uh, are thankful that you're here with us right now, that you're speaking to us, that your spirit is convicting us and changing us and equipping us. Uh, we want you to be worshipped as we go through your word, and we just pray that you would just press this text into us and bring out the application. Let your son Jesus be uh, shown and glorified, and let the gospel just be uh, presented in a way that the people in this room would need to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Uh, verse 36, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them. John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them uh, to do the work. And so uh, just getting into it, uh, we've got this. Uh, call on Paul's life. He's, he's sensing the Lord tell him to get out of that missions hub of Antioch and go out and, and to do more missions and make more disciples and preach the gospel, F figuring that the Lord would have him go with his teammate, his partner, Barnabas, the one who'd gone through Galatia with him and helped plant those church, helped minister to those people. But as they're getting ready to go, Barnabas says, you know, I'd like to take my nephew, uh, John Mark, all, or known as Mark in the scripture, I'd like to take him with us. And this begins just an argument uh, between the two that would, that would result in their separation. You remember John Mark or Mark as the, uh, the young man at the end of the book of Mark who uh, followed from the upper room into the Garden of Gethsemane and, and was only clothed in a sheet as he was probably supposed to have been in bed. And as the commotion happened with the the high, uh, high priest's assistant getting his ear lopped off and, and uh, you know, Jesus being arrested and all that stuff. Uh, Roman guard grabbed that sheet and Mark ran out of there naked, you know. And, uh, and then as just uh, his life and a couple of years went by, he's been growing and, you know, having a heart for missions, but perhaps not prepared all the way. In Acts chapter 13, we see that Barnabas took John Mark with them, uh, with Paul and him. And as they went to the island of Cyprus, perhaps that encounter with uh, Sergius Paulus and his sorcerer uh, was just too much for Mark as uh, he, he only made it through that first tiny little part of the missionary journey before he had to, he had to go home. It was just too much for him. He had abandoned John and, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas as their assistant. And so now as it's time to go out again, you know, the son of encouragement, Barnabas is like, man, what a great opportunity to give Mark a second chance and get him back out there and serving again. And, and, uh, and Paul, you know, with his personality, he's like, no way, you know, God's called us to go and blaze missions trails and plant churches. And we can't do it with this weak link. You know, he abandoned us when we needed him most. And so these two personalities, both of them right, you know, Paul saying, man, I, we got a work to do and we can't, you know, we can't be, uh, you know, having all our guys abandoning us and, and he's just going to be uh, holding us back. Let's go. And then the son of encouragement saying, man, don't we all deserve a second chance? And, and as they begin to uh, discuss this is what I like to call intense fellowship. Uh, we see verse uh, 39 uh, it says that the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. 
So that Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, uh, you know, they both were right and yet they handled it wrong as, as so that they uh, parted and separated ways in the bonds of fellowship. They left kind of miffed at each other with, you know, kind of dark clouds above their heads, kind of, kind of upset, difference, difference in methodology. And so um, these contentious farewells are always a result of, of pride in a sense. And so uh, you just notice these words from, you know, uh, the word determined, you know, uh, uh, Barnabas was determined to take Mark and then, you know, but Paul insisted that he not go, you know, you got these strong words, determined, insisted. And in verse 39, sharp contention, you know, these are just, uh, there's times that it happens within the church, but then you got to kind of step back and pray and walk in love. And so they ended up splitting ways here, uh, beginning both of their mis- missionary journeys. And the, the writer of Acts is going to focus on Paul's second missionary journey, which takes place during about 50 to 53 AD. We've got it on the map up there, and you can kind of follow it as we go uh, through it today. A uh, couple things about this splitting of ways. Number one, it wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to the church in that it kind of put two separate fronts for the gospel in the world you know instead of just one team going out now it was two teams going out in strength preaching the gospel that's a good thing Uh, another thing is uh an encouraging thing that uh you know mark didn't kind of end in obscurity and in discouragement from this uh fight about him uh in fact in second timothy we read a really neat thing that uh, at the end of Paul's life, it, I, I like to call Second Timothy the final pulse of Paul. It's his last letter that we have recorded before he's beheaded in Rome. Uh, but there in Second Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. Isn't that an awesome thing? Years later, you know, the Lord had been doing a work in Mark so that he wasn't that you know, had that stigma or that letter on him of the abandoner, you know, or the useless, you know, in ministry. And the guy that the Apostle Paul got in a fight about, and let, you know, and uh, could you imagine having that on your record, you know, of, of ministry? But we see that, you know what, the Lord had done an awesome work, no doubt, through the son of encouragement, you know, helping him and helping him move beyond those fears and those struggles that caused him to abandon in the first place. But for Paul to say, bring Mark, he's useful for me in the ministry. That is an awesome thing. Maybe you have been in the place where you were in ministry at one point and you know now you're just you're not in ministry for whatever reason maybe you failed maybe you sinned and you've been put on the shelf you know for whatever reason you're not in ministry that doesn't mean you're useless in ministry and that it's done and you might as well just die you know that is not the lord's heart for you he's got you in a season right now and i ask you to just pray about what that season is that he would be restoring you and equipping you and bringing other resources alongside so that you too could be useful in the ministry, whatever that looks like in your life. Kind of neat to see also years later, uh, Peter would uh, write the book of the Gospel of Mark, but it was Mark that was the secretary for Peter in that account. You see that usefulness in ministry. 
We've got uh, chapter 16 now as we look in verse 1. And you can just kind of follow the map. They went up through Syria, which is north of Israel, up through Antioch, up through Cilicia, Tarsus, where he's from originally. And they came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So they go up through Lystra, through Derby. It's been five years since their first missionary journey. And they go to the town where uh, Paul had healed the, uh, the lame man who'd been lame from his mother's womb. And uh, after that healing, you remember the crowd began to worship them and say that the gods have come among us in the bodies of men. And Paul and Barnabas tore their clothes and said, don't worship us. Turn from these worthless idols and worship the living God who's been so gracious to you. And, uh, and you know, not long after they were worshiping them, uh, all of a sudden they're throwing stones at Paul and t- casting him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And yet now we see Paul going back a second time uh, to minister to this town that he had uh, uh, led so many and had such an impact in. One of the families that was impacted from that missionary journey was uh, uh, Timothy's family. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul says, you know, I, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. I'm mindful of you to tears. And I'm filled with joy when I call to remembrance that genuine faith that was in you, Timothy. That genuine faith that was in you that it says that was uh, first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded is in you also. So as he remembers, just man, I remember when we went on that first missionary journey, there's this little kid. And at the time, at this time of the second missionary journey, Timothy's believed to be about 15 years old. 15 years old. You know, some of you are 15 or have kids that are 15. Imagine uh, just your 15-year-old having such an incredible relationship with Christ that he's well-known throughout the region just for his love of Jesus. He's well-spoken of for, their, uh, for his love of the Lord. You know, he's, he's got this Jewish mother and Jewish grandmother who loved the Lord and, uh, and a Greek father who, you know, was a non-believer um, and also perhaps at this point had passed away. But, uh, but this, you know, kind of a new father came on the scene, a father of the faith. A couple different times in scripture, Paul calls Timothy the son, a true son in the faith as uh, Paul discipled Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes to this young man. At this point now, he's 30, 31 years old. Uh, it's been about 15, 16 years. He writes to Timothy and he says, you know, you must continue on in the things that you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood, Timothy, you've known the holy scriptures which will make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and so just, you know, in 2 Timothy, he writes and says, man, remember that since you were little, you've had the scriptures just poured into you. You've had an apostle pour into you. You're useful in the ministry. You, you've had a love for Jesus and a good reputation. You've been known by all the brethren. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2 Verses 19 through 22, you read that Paul wanted to send someone to Philippi. And so the, the, the uh, representative that he sent on his behalf 
was this young Timothy. And he says, you've known Timothy's proven character. You've known Timothy's proven character. How awesome that a young man, uh, you know, before the age of 30 could be sent by an apostle as the representative of Jesus Christ uh, to that city. You know, the Lord can do that today in our youth, in this church. I encourage you, pray for the youth. Like, labor in prayer for our youth. Labor in prayer for our youth leaders. For the youth pastor, Chad, and the staff under him. Pray for them. You know, that that the Lord would use our youth in a radical way, like he used Timothy here. You know, it says there in verse 3 that uh, Paul wanted to have Timothy go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And we'll get into the circumcision aspect in a second. But just that Paul the Apostle wanted to have this 15-year-old kid go on with him. Imagine being mom, you know, and Lois and Eunice, you know, and just like, wow, you want to take my son with you across the world? And you've been beaten and stoned and... uh, Okay, you know, they had a deep faith, and so apparently they just let him go. But what a privilege, what an honor to have this this man pour into you at a young age. You know, you look in Scripture, and Jesus says, go make disciples. And Paul did that. He went and made disciples. 2 Timothy 2, 2, you know, it says, uh, teach faithful men who will then go and teach faithful men, who will then go and teach faithful men, just as, as I did to you, Timothy. Teach faithful men. Be making disciples. Like Jesus said. I just ask you, are you one who makes disciples? You see those around you that are young and maybe just young in the faith. They could be your same age, but younger in the faith. And you would take them under your wing and you would show them how to read the Bible. You know, you would teach them how to pray and how to spend time in worship and discipline themselves towards godliness. You would teach them how to evangelize. You would lead by example in service. You would show them that you don't count your life to be valuable, but you count the furtherance of the kingdom and the the preaching of the gospel to be valuable. You know, look around you. If you don't have someone in your life that you're pointing towards Jesus and saying, follow me as I follow Christ, there's something wrong in your Christianity. Not an option. It's a commission. It's a command from Jesus that you're making disciples. And Paul was faithful to heed that call of taking this young man whose faith was so radical that people in the surrounding region knew who he was. I'm so thankful for those guys in my life who were my Pauls, and I was their Timothy. I moved around a lot since I've been a follower of Jesus. Um, but everywhere I've moved, God's raised up older guys, not super old, but older men than I am, uh, to pour into me. You know, I think of my pastor Rob and, and my youth pastor Mark, who's fallen away from Jesus since then, but, you know, he just invested in me and my buddy Chris and John. And, you know, in my youth from the ages 14 up till now, I've always had friends, my closest friends, most of them have always been 10 to 20 years older than me. You know, I've always had these older men that invested in my life invested time and energy and resources and opened up their home for me. You know, and I was nothing special. I'm still nothing special, you know, but especially going through that awkward age, you know, end of middle school, early high school, you know, just like 
teeth that won't quit, you know, and an Adam's apple that hasn't shrunk any since then, and poor posture, and I didn't dress the coolest, you know, and, you know, here's this, there were lots of other kids that were cooler than me, but, and, you know, here's my pastor who's a, from, you know, Huntington Beach, you know, a surfer, kind of this cool guy from California, and he says, man, look at that little dorky kid over there, <laughs> you know, man, he doesn't got a lot of style, and he doesn't got a lot of class, but he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus, and I'm going to invest in him. You know, then I moved to Lakeview, and in high school, just my pastor down there, Ken, you know, he, he said, man, I want to invest in Rory. And I would spend every day, I would spend two hours with him. And he would give me little assignments, you know, read why grace changes everything and write me a book report, you know, and, and okay, now vacuum the church and, you know, and, and let's go and, you know, move this for these people and, you know, just investing time in me teaching me how to teach the word so I could teach the youth group. And man, I'm so thankful for that. And I have such a heart that we be doing that with our youth. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. You know, just be someone who's willing to disciple someone. And I know that you don't feel like you've arrived and, well, I'm, I'm telling everything I've learned, you know. It's like, man, you're growing and there's someone younger in the faith than you and then someone's younger than them and we can all be growing together in Christ. But how encouraging it is when someone says, you know what, I want to invest in them. I see the potential. I see God's hand on their life. And so, you know, Paul would pass on to uh, Timothy a living doctrine that he would in turn pass on to others. There was that father-son relationship. He was a true son in the faith. And uh, not only in the way that Timothy would live his life, but also in the way that he died. In fact, Fox's Book of Martyrs includes how Timothy would die for Jesus. And uh, it says that the martyr during this time with whom we're most familiar was Timothy, who was the celebrated disciple of the apostle Paul and overseer of the church in Ephesus until 97 AD. In that year, the Ephesian pagans were celebrating a feast called Catagonian. When Timothy saw their pagan procession, he blocked their way and severely rebuked them for idolatry. His holy boldness angered the pagans and they attacked him with clubs and beat him so badly that he died from his injuries two days later. And to think of this 15-year-old boy and how he watched Paul and Barnabas come on that first missionary journey. And from a young age, he's known the Holy Scriptures that were wise for salvation and he's making disciples and he's faithful and he's well spoken of and you know people trust him and you know entrust ministries to him he's a young pastor and he was a man that stood for holiness and to think that there's timothys in our midst you know it's been said that christianity is just one generation away from extinction if you think about it you know uh think of who discipled you and who's told the gospel to you. And then there's all these youth under uh, coming up under us that, you know, if no one tells them about Jesus and no one disciples them and pours into them and equips them for ministry, then who's going to do it? I thank the Lord that he's faithful. And I thank the Lord that he's sovereign, but he's sovereignly and faithful, faithfully using men and women within the church to do that work. What would happen if everyone said, nah, too busy, not nah, family first, you know, can't have anyone else at the table, you know, Man, the church would be extinct long ago. 
So man, may you be part of that. May you be part of that discipleship call that Paul was faithful to heed. As busy as he was, uh, he was uh, faithful to heed. And so, uh, man, just the fruitful life of Timothy is just a testimony to Paul's life as well and what Christ was doing in him. Then as you look in verse 5, oh, I guess I don't want to jump past the, uh, the thought there that, that he took Timothy in verse 3 and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region for they all knew his father was Greek. And you know, after just reading chapter 15, you might be thinking, wait a second, didn't we solve the whole circumcision issue in chapter 15 when Judaizers were coming in and saying, you must be circumcised to be saved and you must keep the law of Moses to be saved and go to heaven and be forgiven of your sins. And then there was that great Jerusalem council, that great debate that settled it as they examined scripture and the word of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit thus far in the book of Acts, uh, where they said, no, we know that for a man to be saved, he's saved uh, by grace, not of works, but by grace through faith. That's how a man is justified, just as if he'd never sinned before the Lord. Well, so then why is Timothy circumcised here by Paul? You know, especially as Paul is distributing this, this letter given out, telling the good news of salvation. Well, he's circumcised not for the purpose of justification or not for the purpose of salvation. Paul didn't say, well, Timmy, it's time for you to get saved, boy, so let's get the flint knife sharpened, you know. Uh, but he said, uh, no, rather, the, the purpose of the circumcision here is for the furtherance of the gospel and is for sensitivity to others who Peter, or excuse me, who Paul and Timothy are going to be ministering to. It was a sensitivity issue. You see, the letter or the decree given at the end of chapter 15, it was championed in two ways. Number one, it was a champion of truth and that it told the true way of salvation, not of works, not by being circumcised, not by keeping the law of Moses. You know, Paul was adamant that it was not by the works of the flesh that any man would be justified. Uh, and so that, that, that was a championship of truth there, victory, that, that the true way of salvation was made known to all the churches. But that letter was also victorious in love, you know, because as they sent that letter out, they said, you know, you don't need to work your way to salvation. You don't need to be circumcised or any of that things. But could we just ask you to be sensitive to the Jews around you who would be stumbled and can't get past the fact if you're eating meat sacrificed to idols or eating meat that's been strangled and it still has the blood in it. I mean, that's just that's weird for Jewish Christians and they won't be able to worship and fellowship. They'll be distracted, you know. So could you just stay away from those things and and for a moral purpose, abstain from sexual immorality, you know, that as the culture was so uh, licentious in that day, like it is today. And so it was a champion of, uh, of love as people were told, be sensitive. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's being sensitive. He knows, okay, so I've got Timothy, this awesome Jesus lover. His parent or his mom is Jewish. And so he's considered Jewish. His dad is a, a Gentile non-believer. And so he knows if he takes Timothy on the missionary journey and they're, and they're sharing the gospel, then the Jews find out that this little disciple is not circumcised. They're going to be stumbled by that. They're immediately going to close their ears and close their hearts, and they're going to have a hard time hearing anything. And Paul knew that. And so he said, you know what? For sensitivity purpose, get out the knife. <laughs> you know, For sensitivity purposes, out of love, 
we got to circumcise you, Timothy. And Timothy uh, uh, was circumcised then. You know, in another account, Galatians tells us there was a point when the Judaizers were trying to compel Titus, a young man, to be circumcised. And it says not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. The issue there was of salvation and was of justification. And, and Titus said, uh-uh, you know, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. And I don't need to do that uh, to be saved. And so uh, that was, that was uh, uh, passed, <laughs> passed by by Titus, I guess, for lack of a better wording there. And, uh, and so he was circumcised for the sake of love. In verse 5, and, and actually, let's jump over real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. You can see where Paul's coming from in this sensitivity. Where he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. says, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. I'm free from all men, but I'm going to be a servant of everyone that I can win them. To the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I could win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. So his, his uh, motive and his method was sensitivity. It was love. You know, if you know that you're, you're going to a certain town and that town has a problem with, you know, strip club on every corner, you know, then you're just going to be, you know, I don't even know how that example would work. Don't be dressing like that. I don't know. <laughs> you following me? <laughs> you know, if, if a town, you know, say you go to Mitchell and, you know, 99% of the population are recovering alcoholics, you know, and you go there and you're like, hey, one good way I could put myself through the ministry is just open a bar. What? No, I'm not going to get drunk. You know, that would stumble everybody in that town. It would be totally insensitive of you. In the same way, Paul's being sensitive here to the Jews. And, uh, and, and he says, man, to the Jew, I'm going to be a Jew. See that later on in the book of Acts when he gets back to Jerusalem and, the, and the, the church there says, look, you've been out sharing Jesus all across Europe and maybe even to Spain at that point. And, you know, people are going to think that you've been doing weird Gentile stuff. You know, I'm not saying it, but people are going to say it. So maybe you could just take a Nazarite vow, you know, and shave your head and do this thing. It would really mean a lot to the people around here. So what did Paul do? Shaved his head and took a Nazarite vow and said, you know what? I'm here to love on the Jews and to minister the gospel to the Jews. Hair's coming off. You know, he was sensitive like that. So do we need to be sensitive. And so in verse 4, as they went throughout the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So they went with this awesome letter. And remember at the end of chapter 15, whenever this letter would go forth, people would read it and rejoice. Because the letter said, you know, number one, it said salvation is by grace through faith alone. And all these Gentiles that were being told, hey, you got to get circumcised and you got to keep the law of Moses, like totally. That was a relief to them. Oh, freedom. You know, I'm... I'm, I'm saved by what Jesus did, not by what I did. 
And so they rejoiced when they read that. The letter also said that sexual immorality is forbidden for all believers for all time. Abstain from sexual immorality. And, you know, I've just been sensing as I'm studying that we're going to come back and we're going to camp on that for a week, probably within the next couple of weeks. And we're going to look at just how Christians are to abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, and we're going to just dig into the scriptures and say, hey, how, what does that mean here in 2011 Prineville, Crook County, with, uh, with what we've got going on? Is, is there, are there any leniencies on that? We're going to see that no. But we're going to look in depth at that within the next couple of weeks. The letter also just said, hey, be sensitive on what you're eating, that, that meat that meat that offered to idols or that was strangled. And so as they went and distributed that letter, verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So as Paul went with just the gospel that he would preach, the, with the method of love and sensitivity, and with this young disciple that he's got who's useful in the ministry, as they're going out, churches are strengthened, and the result of a strong church is that it grows, is that it grows. And this church we read of grew daily. You'll remember in the last, you know, three quarters of a year that we've been in the book of Acts, we read of that a lot, that the disciples multiplied or that the church grew daily. Part of being a strong church is growing. You know, there was a survey out there that said that 80% of church growth was actually Christians leaving a church and going to another church. Recycled Christians. Is that church growth? Wow, we're really growing. Yeah, everyone just left other churches and came here. Where are all the non-saved people that have heard about Jesus from our mouths and we're talking to them about the gospel and we're saying, hey, come to church and be part of this fellowship of believers as you've been born again. Come, hear the gospel. That's church growth. We don't want to just be a recycling bin here at Calvary Chapel. We want to be a place where new believers are entering into the fold here. And so, man, may the Lord open our eyes to those opportunities he's put around us where the lost are at our job site, they're at the grocery store, they're at the gas station. Everywhere we're at, there are people that are going to hell and we are ambassadors for Jesus. Man, may we go out and tell people about Jesus. May we tell people of the gospel. The church should be a growing church if it's a healthy church. As you look at verse 6, now, when they'd gone through Persia or Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And so as you look at the map, they've been uh, going north, they've been heading west, they've been going through the region of Galatia there. But there at uh, Phrygia, they're told, hey, you can't go any further west. The Holy Spirit um, forbid them to preach the gospel in Asia. And so, you know, that's an interesting thought that the Holy Spirit would say, don't preach the gospel there. You imagine if you're out there and you're, man, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm going to go share the gospel. And you're out there in the central park and here comes Rory and Rory, oh, Rory's going to encourage me and pray for me. And I say, stop it. <laughs> don't do it. What are you talking about? Rory's crazy. Go tell everyone Rory's crazy. Well, here as they're on their way west, the Lord says, stop. You can't go any further southwest. You can't go into that region of, of, uh, of Galatia where you had ministered before. They're told no. And so uh, verse 6, you know, 
they're forbidden to preach the word there in Asia. And so when they come to Mysia, a little bit farther north, they tried to go up into Bithynia, but the spirit did not permit them. And so at this point in their missionary journey, it's like everywhere they go, they feel like they're bonking their head on the wall. They feel like there's a shut door everywhere they go. You can't go south. You can't go back the way we came. can't go up to Bithynia. Where are we supposed to go? Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And so as you look there on the map, it's right by the water. They stop. There's nowhere else to go but back. And as Paul looks out into the ocean, no doubt was wondering, Lord, where would you have us go? Lord, where would you have us go? And before we get into the conclusion of where the Lord would have them go, as I've been reading uh, Acts chapter 16, I'm just so reminded of the Lord's faithfulness in my life to shut doors and to open doors and to say no and to say go. And I was just reminded as I was studying of when the Lord first called Lindsay and I out of Corvallis, out of being um, a youth pastor, a high school pastor, just sensing that the calling to pastor a church um, one of the first places that I felt led to was a place I lived in middle school when my dad was in veterinary school up in Pullman, Washington. There's a big college campus there in a little town and all these young people that have nothing to do but party, you know. And as I went there, Lindsay and I drove, you know, a thousand miles round trip to go and pray. And just within the first day that we were there, uh, just sensed that it was a no from the Lord. And we didn't have anybody slam doors in our faces or anything like that. We just sensed, like, this isn't where the Lord has us. Stayed there for a day and a half and drove back home and said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to open some doors. You're going to have to show us. Interesting, I hadn't told anybody that uh, I was planning on moving and leaving and, and uh, got a call from my pastor the day we got back that said, hey, I want to have lunch with you. And as we got together and have lunch, he, he was just kind of not wanting to hurt me, you know, and he just said, hey, Rory, you know, I'm just, I'm sensing that your time here as the youth pastor, that it's coming to a close and that God has called you and, and soon is going to call you to go out and to shepherd a flock somewhere. And uh, he goes, and I'm thinking like probably by June, you'll be out of here. You know, and I'm like, yeah, actually, that's really cool because that's exactly what the Lord's been showing me. In fact, I just got back from Pullman and the Lord said no. And we just both got really excited in our lunch there. Like, where does the Lord have us go? And it was a shut door there in Pullman. And, and so um, after the during the week of fasting and praying, just, you know, Lord, where would it be? And, and have a heart for cattle ranchers. And, you know, I believe the Lord's going to do a work here in the cattle ranchers, just waiting patiently for vision on how that's going to happen. But sensed for some reason to go to Wyoming, you know, cattle ranching territory in the middle of the state there. Went over there, had never been to Wyoming, didn't know anybody in Wyoming, you know, just, okay, Lord, here we go, you know. And as I got there, spent a week there praying, didn't sense a shut door, really liked the town, the people were nice. One of the close by Calvaries, you know, was really excited that I was coming, came home, said, okay, looks like we're moving to Casper, Wyoming. And so Lindsay and I prayed and announced to the church that we were moving to Wyoming. And we were a month away from moving to Wyoming when I got a call from Pastor Ryan. Hey, would you pray about coming here and pastoring the church in Prineville? And, uh, you know, I was like, well, I've kind of got my heart set on Wyoming, actually. You know, the Lord had finally moved me beyond that. I thought of, I could never leave Oregon. I could never leave my family. And we're ready to go. And, you know, and the Lord kind of had to step back and just examine and pray. And, uh, you know, after a month at least of uh, the church here praying and 
And uh, the church in Corvallis praying, the Lord said, this is where I have you. This is, this is where I have you. And so um, just so exciting to see, you know, I've been there in a way, you know, in the same place that Paul's been, knowing that the no's are just as good as the goes. In fact, going through my emails, when I got back from Pullman and knew that that was a no from the Lord, I wrote one of my pastor friends over in Georgia, Sandy Adams, and I just let him know that that was a no. And we don't know where we're going to go, but we sense we're going somewhere. And uh, he wrote me back and he said, hey, Rory, I did get your email about Pullman. As you well know, God answers with no as well as go. Psalm 37, 23 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. The Hebrew word ordered means supported. The moves motivated by a man's goodness are strengthened and supported by the Lord. God gets behind the person who aligns his life with God's will. George Mueller used to say, not only are the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord, but so are his stops. And I just remember taking that and just rereading it. And Lord, the stops are just as good as the steps and the no's are just as good as the goes. And Lord, may I never get frustrated with those no's or the bonks on the head. And, and you know, the same thing, it's not just when we're going to move somewhere, but it's everything we do. We want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, just Lindsay and I just... Uh, the Lord finally uh, has given us a home to live in. You know, we got to buy a house right before Christmas and it's the Lord's house and he can take it when he wants. And, you know, we've been putting offers on houses and no, 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 no. Shut door, shut door, shut door, shut door. And we are just totally happy with never owning a home, never owning a home. And then just all of a sudden, boom, the Lord just provided it. It happened so fast. I don't even know what happened, actually. <laughs> I wonder if I'm legal where I'm living right now. But you know, that's how he just, man, be, Lord, you got shut doors. That is awesome. Be glorified in the shut doors. That's a great place to have your heart. And, uh, you know, a shut door doesn't remain a shut door forever because the third missionary of Paul, the journey of Paul, it's going to go back down through Asia. He's going to go to those places that the Lord said uh, no before. And so, you know, what happened anyways? They're at Troas. They're up against the water. And verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This also just brought back memories at, during the week of fasting and prayer two years ago. I just, man, I was just zealously seeking out desperately for God to show us where to go and keeping a journal the whole time. I decided to read through the book of Acts during the fast. And maybe you would do that this year. You'd read through the book of Acts during your fast. And I came to this chapter and I remember writing, uh, Lord, let there be a Macedonian man wherever we're going that's praying and, and desiring us to be there. And as we were looking at Wyoming, I'm like, okay, well, there doesn't have to be a Macedonian man, you know? And uh, just so neat to know there was a Macedonian man and Macedonian women that were actually Prindelonians, you know? And they were praying and they were seeking the Lord. And he's so faithful to hear that. You know, how neat to know that whatever your circumstance is, you can be praying that on the other end of your circumstance, there will be people praying for you. If you're looking for a job, pray, Lord, whatever job you would have for me, be preparing the heart of, of that employer for me. Or Lord, you, you know, you want me to, to do this? Well, prepare that side of those people on that end of the spectrum. And how faithful he is to do that. We've seen that a lot in the book of Acts so far. 
thing of Cornelius and how on this end, Peter is having a vision of a sheet. And on that end of things, God's speaking to Cornelius and his servants and the servants are on the way to Peter's house while he's having the vision of the sheet. And so pray for those Macedonian men. So he has this vision of this man pleading with them to come there. And so verse 10, now after they'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what, it, what happened after that vision? You know, oh, there's a Macedonian man. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just go backwards, you know, or no, I really want to go back and see those churches that we had originally planted. Let's do that. No, immediately when they saw the vision, they went, they left. Notice that the, the tense in which this is written changes as Luke has joined them on the journey and Luke will be with them uh, through the rest of this journey. Uh, and so they immediately uh, went to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called them to preach the gospel there. Verse 11, therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis. And so real neat something there in verse 11, you can just dig out, underline the word, we ran a straight course. So as they're going across that little body of water up to Macedonia, uh, it said the wind was at uh, their back. Or I'm sorry, it says they ran a straight course, which is a nautical term, meaning the wind is at our back. Their sails were full. You see, when the Lord was shutting doors to go places, it was a lack of peace in our heart or people telling us no. And, and we bore witness to that. And it was like bonking your head on not going to Bithynia, not going to Asia. But man, when you are going where the Lord wants you to go, nothing can stop you. You can't get there fast. I mean, woo, wind at our back, you know, and, and you see that here as they are uh, running a straight course up there towards uh, that weird named place, Neapolis. <laughs> And from there they went to Philippi. We went to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we're staying in that city for some days. So Philippi, this major city, a colony, uh, which was just like being in Rome. If it was a colony, it was like little Italy. You know, it was like little Rome. And so it was a great hub to get the gospel to start pointing towards Rome there. And uh, we're going to, you'll get to love the Philippians, you know, as you read the letters, you read this chapter, and then you read the letter to the Philippians, um, just a neat, neat people group there. <clears throat> they stayed there for some days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So what would Paul usually do on the, the Sabbath when he would get to a new town? He'd go into the synagogue, Right. Well, apparently there's not a synagogue here. You had to have 10 Jewish men for a synagogue to be uh, established. And so they went to where this place where prayer was made. They're at the river. And as they get there, they find uh, women having a prayer meeting. And it doesn't really at first glance look like the Macedonian man. Uh, it says there uh, that they sat down, they spoke to the women who were there. And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken of by Paul. And so we're introduced to this gal named Lydia. Seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. And I don't know if you can see it on that map, but over at the left side of Asia in that yellow area, there's a little town called Thyatira. And uh, you'll notice that's in Asia. But Paul is now in Europe, uh, the region of Europe. And how interesting to see that although he couldn't go to Asia, 
God brought Asia to him. You know, he said, okay, I still have a heart to reach Asia. In fact, I'm going to bring Lydia along. In fact, the first person that's going to get saved there, she's from Asia. She's from Thyatira. You can read about Thyatira in Jesus's letter to them in Revelation chapter two. A lot of commendations, but also rebuke for sexual immorality. And so, uh, you know, she's from Asia. So God's just sovereignly working to still reach out uh, to Asia there. And she also, or it says she worshipped God. And so much like Cornelius was a man who prayed to the Lord and was interested in the, the God of Israel and gave alms. And those alms came up as a memorial. Um, he and she, you know, Cornelius and Lydia, they were still dead in their sins. They were still without a savior. They still didn't have an atonement for their sins. And they needed to hear about Jesus. And so God brings Paul across her path. And as he speaks to her, it says that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken of uh, by Paul. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like she was radically self-righteous. I mean, you don't read that in the text. But, you know, from the outward appearance, it would seem that, oh, she's a nice person. She's a good person on the outward end of things. But the Lord still sees, you know what? She's a sinner and I can't even look upon her. And so she needs to have uh, her sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. And, you know, perhaps Paul went and he just shared, hey, you know what? Before I came to Christ, before Christ came to me, I was uh, <clears throat> I was the Jew of the Jews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He writes it all in Philippians chapter 3. You know, I was circumcised on the eighth day and I was a Pharisee concerning the law. I was zealous, you know, I was. And, and you know what? All of that stuff that looked good on paper to the Jews was nothing before God. My most righteous best day was a filthy, stinking rag that couldn't even be in the presence of God. I needed someone to cleanse me and make me new. I needed to be born again, Lydia. And one day I was on my way to Damascus and the big bright light came and knocked me off my horse and Jesus himself spoke to me. And I realized that I was so unworthy of God to even consider me. But you know what? By grace, he considered me so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die in my place. That if I would believe upon him, I would be saved and have my sins washed away and I would be born again. I would be useful to him. I would get to glorify him and I'd get to be with him forever preaching the gospel to her. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to heed those things. We get a neat glimpse into salvation here that it was the Lord who opened her heart. You know, I can speak to you till I'm blue in the face. I could throw lots of jokes in. I could have some kind of video presentation that shows science and blah, blah, blah. And I could do all sorts of things and tap dance and all of that. And you know what? Not one thing that I ever do will change your heart. It's always the Lord. It's always the Holy Spirit that draws men to Jesus. It's never the words of man. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.